0: Welcome to the Painting of the Week podcast, where we look at some of the most significant paintings throughout history. Introducing your hosts, Phil Grabsky and Laura Bentham. Welcome to this week's Painting of the Week, and we've come out of our um, where we normally do the, the podcasts. And we've come to a place called Charleston House in Sussex, um, not far from where both Laura and I live in Brighton. Charleston House is absolutely fantastic. I've been here a few times um, and there's reasons to come any time of the year, both to look at the house and to look at its garden. And it's in a beautiful spot nestled in the South Downs. It also has a gallery where they have temporary exhibitions and the temporary exhibition that we're looking at at the moment is entitled Duncan Grant 1920. Now, for those of you who listened to this podcast before the 13th of March 2022, I can but thoroughly recommend that you make your way down here, make a beeline and come and see the exhibition for yourself and come and see the entirety of the paintings that are on view It's really spectacular. I must admit, I was—I had kind of high hopes, and they've been exceeded. The paintings are really beautiful and very stimulating. We've chosen as our painting of the week uh, something called "Room with a View" or "The Room with a View," Um, and as I say, obviously painted by Duncan Grant. Now, um, there are thirty-one canvases in this. Exhibition. The curator is Dr. Darren Clark, who uh, can't be with us, um, but uh, all credit to him for putting together the show. Charleston House. So Charleston House is a very, very interesting place. Um, presumably, well, perhaps some of you have heard of the Bloomsbury Group of Artists and uh, Writers. Um, Duncan Grant um, had a partner whose name was David Garnett, and then he married Vanessa Bell, who was born uh, Vanessa Stephen in 1879, something like that. Um, and she's famously the sister of Virginia Woolf, who was obviously born Virginia Stephen uh, three years later. So she was three years younger than Vanessa. And when they lived in London, um, the Stevens initially lived in Mayfair, they were from a relatively well-to-do family, but they moved to Bloomsbury, which is near to the British Museum, and they kind of formed, uh, um, it was a meeting place for friends, the kind of people that would come, Roger Fry, uh, Maynard Keynes, um, and they would discuss ideas, politics, and of course, art. Um, 1920. Sorry, Laura. I will let you speak at some point. It's all right. Laura, Laura is here. I am. Here. <laughs> let's, let's, okay. <laughs> no, enough of the. All right, enough of the background. Let's look at the picture. So, Laura.
1: What do hang we, on, because you've got to say because I'm never. I'm so excited today because, like I said to you, I've actually never been in an exhibition where there's no people. There's no people. <laughs> so, Phil, you walked in, and this is just normal behaviour for you. I'm just really trying to hold it together here because this is just so exciting. I'm so excited. And then we picked this painting, which is incredible. And luckily you just read the history of the group because to be fair, I was worn out yesterday trying to work out
0: What was going on with all of them? I mean, they were quite a group, weren't they? It was complicated. It's a complicated. I mean, it was really complicated. So Duncan, David, and Vanessa Mm. are basically in a kind of three-way relationship.
1: Mm. Yeah,
0: Yeah. and uh, and openly so, as far as I can tell. Mm. But so what this picture shows? Yes. (laughs) So I mean, there's lots to talk about. But first, with this picture. Duncan and Vanessa had a child born on Christmas Day, 1918. So just really weeks after the war has finished. Mm. Um, And the daughter is eventually called uh, Angelica. Angelica. I believe. Mm. Um, Initially, um, the daughter was a little bit poorly. um, But then a doctor came by and changed the diet and the, the, the baby started to thrive as a result. So what we have here, it's a very peaceful scene in some ways. Um, You know, the lounge doors, living room doors have been thrown open. It's a beautiful spring day. You can see the blossom on the trees. And Vanessa and her daughter, um, presumably this is spring 1919, sitting on a a chair, her legs are up, and the baby's kind of nestled comfortably against her. Um,
1: But on this painting, though, Phil... I couldn't even see the baby. I mean, you really, really struggle to see or make out, even when you're back, with the detail. Off, you can just, can't you? But well, I was struggling a bit,
0: in fairness. The thing I find so interesting about this painting, uh, and, and in reference to that, is, is, you know, he's clearly, this is, you know, 1919. Mm. And we're going to talk about his influences, but you can see his, his painterly influences so clearly. And, you know, this has got Matisse written all over it. It says, to some extent. I mean, he's so influenced by the Impressionists and the Post-Impressionists, their love of colour, um, for example. But I think you're right. I think you have to look quite carefully. And when you look, first of all, you start to see how your eye has been tricked into realising that she's lying in that chair. Because actually the closer you get, the more indistinct it becomes, the more abstract it becomes, which is very clever. You wouldn't necessarily at first see the baby, but then if you look carefully, you can see what I think is her hand, which is supporting something. And I I don't know, maybe I'm making it up. Maybe she's wearing a pair of gloves there. Hard to tell. But that, that blue is presumably a kind of a shawl around the baby
1: yeah I, I don't know I just can't I, actually this time I really can't I'm struggling on that one I love this painting though in amongst all these others as well we were allowed to pick which one we fancied and this one oh we both chose this yes fanned out for sure but I, I really am struggling to see that baby Well, wow. I feel like we're going on some the woman in the boat thing we did before but <laughs> I mean but the the
0: I do, um, but the the use of... I mean, I I would imagine this was actually a very complicated picture to paint and for Duncan to get to the point where he thought, okay, that's finished. Yeah. Because the combination of colours is just on the floor, on the doors, the window panes to some extent reflecting what's outdoors, um, creating that sense of multiple planes. He's inside... We're drawn out through the doors. She's there right by the edge. Then you go down the garden, then the trees, and even beyond the trees. It's absolutely spectacular.
1: It is. But you, there's no real... I mean, okay. When you stand right back, it does become much, uh, actually much clearer. But the sort of, I mean, there's no real perspective to it even. It's just so good. But the case for me is the colours again. I love them. I just love this painting so I much. Know. So, yeah, go on. No, no, I mean, I- I just on the blossom on the trees, compared to last week's painting of the week, which we did, oh, I don't know when these are going out now. But when we did the, um, the uh, Keishan fan with the fan mm. and her detail of blossom, and here's now we're back to, like you said, impressionist painting. Doesn't matter, does it? It's so good.
0: Well, I'm always, I, I, I've, I always love exploring the ability of the human brain to make sense of something and how the artist has obviously takes advantage of that. So with a few brush strokes, I mean, you see blossom on a tree. Yeah. But actually when you look at it, it's just a few strokes of brown and a, some dabs of green, some dabs of the darker green, some dabs of pink, some dabs of white. But when you imagine that Duncan Grant, like any artist, is starting with a completely blank canvas... To kind of create this narrative and this three, dimension, three dimensionality, I always think is absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it really does remind me of, of of Matisse and his work that he did on the eastern Catalonian seashore. Again, looking out of windows, but just experimenting with color, work at the Fauves. I mean, mm-hmm. they just and bear in mind you have to take this into context of where we are historically I, I don't i you can have a visceral reaction to a painting like this and enjoy it without knowing anything about it whatsoever but actually i always think these paintings are more interesting when you do understand something of the context yeah. so britain has just come through the most i don't you know i don't even need to say it but the most horrendous period of warfare this is literally months after the uh, armistice day now, Duncan and David, they're in Sussex because they were conscientious objectors. Um, and they came down in 1914. Um, and they were in a couple of different locations and living in the lovely town of Lewis, briefly, I think Vanessa too. But then uh, in 1916, they had to move and they heard about a, this farm that was uh, available and they ended up here in Charleston House. Um, one of the reasons they came down to Sussex is that one way of avoiding being conscripted, um, although it must be said that initially soldiers were volunteers, mm-hmm. it's only a bit later when things started getting rough and the casualties were so high, as I understand it, that people were actually conscripted. Was to engage in farm work, so they had to come down. They had to. So, you know, during the day they're working, as I understand it, they're working as farm labourers. Yeah, by all accounts, he, he was working
1: really
0: hard. Yeah, working really hard. So, mm-hmm. and then coming back and trying to find the time to paint. Um, I don't know enough about it to know whether he was working five, six, seven days a week. Obviously, farm work is extremely uh, taxing, and often <laughs> often is seven days a week. Yeah.
1: Um, What's interesting about this painting is, though, that, like you say, his actual lover was David Garnet and Vanessa. And this was a baby that they had together. Yeah. And don't you think, when you look at that painting, there's obviously quite a lot of, well, for me, tenderness. And he's obviously really, this is his child, which... Maybe he didn't think he was necessarily going to have a child because, you know, it was probably not, it wasn't, I don't know whether they they planned it or anything. I have no idea. But when you look at her figure, I think it stands out differently to the rest of the painting.
0: So I'm... uh, Yes, well...
1: Do you see that? No. Or is that just me?
0: Well, she certainly stands out from the rest of the painting, but that's obviously, you know, a deliberate thing, isn't yeah. it?
1: Yeah, but he must have, like you said, you're just coming out of the war and there's almost like a tenderness in that painting in, in the way he's painted her.
0: Well, it's life-affirming, isn't it? Mm. It's, it's uh, I, I, there's no question that we're talking here about spring and the possibilities of rebirth, regeneration, mm. the young child, the colour. I mean, there's... There's an optimism to it, which he may or may not have felt. Yeah. Um, But Vanessa, Vanessa Stephen, as she was born, so she'd married a guy called Clive Bell. Mm. (laughs) So I'm to. So, yeah, so I forgot. They had an open relationship, I believe. But then eventually, Clive, he did move in at one stage, but I think that was later on. So when they had this child. Mm. So Duncan Grant never married Vanessa I don't think so. Okay. I'll
1: be honest with you, I've got about
0: six pages of notes, and if I start rustling them... No, you go ahead and rustle away. Actually, while you're (laughs) rustling away, I'm going to read... um, (laughs) I knew a couple of lines of this, but I'm going to read uh, what the Times said about this exhibition in 1920, which is very interesting, because obviously... um, Literary critics, uh, artistic critics could be very harsh. Mm. But here we got the following the Times, Tuesday, February the 10th, 1920. The exhibition of paintings by Mr. Duncan Grant leaves us puzzled and a little depressed by a wilfulness, perhaps unconscious, which seems to hamper his great talent. No one can look at his room with a view without seeing that he is a born painter. One whose very paint makes beauty when he chooses. That's a fantastic. Mm. And I mean, I I I think we probably don't talk about Duncan Grant enough. I mean, he's he's clearly a masterful painter when you look at this. Yeah. I mean, 1920 was his first solo exhibition, and he held it at a place called the uh, Patterson Carfax Gallery. Now that had been founded in 1898. Um, By 1920, it was, well, I've read two places. One was Old Bond Street. The other one was Berry Street. It doesn't really matter. It was in Mayfair. And I think they were known for kind of championing, championing, um, broadly speaking, kind of the avant-garde. And you need, we've talked about this in other podcasts, of course, you need the gallerists to show people's works. These works were for sale. This work, for example, was for sale for 40 guineas and was actually bought by Arthur Clifton, who was the director of the of the, uh, of the the gallery. So the gallerist bought this painting for himself. But as you go around the exhibition, you can see, which is quite nice, actually. I've not seen this before in an exhibition. Every painting has the price on. Yeah. And every painting says to whom it was sold. And I think he, I read somewhere he sold 20-something of the 31 24 of the 31 were sold well I mean I've made films about Van Gogh and plenty of others who had their shows and barely <laughs> sold a painting so that that says something in itself
1: yeah we
0: didn't borrow ourselves in we should have
1: done I think it must have been quite hard for them though because obviously he had you know they, they were kind of covering up quite a lot in this house so you know I think they might have been a lot more to their paintings. When when you look around the room, there's a couple with Vanessa and David in the same room. And you so, know what do you mean covering up? Well obviously he up? was his lover was David Garnet at the time. That's not you know I mean you're already a conscientious objector. So right. a lot of people might not have been too keen on that. And so you've got to work doubly hard to make. Then you've got you're living in this house And I'm assuming then, probably looking over their shoulder quite a lot, they've got this open... Vanessa's
0: got an open relationship with Clive. So there's
1: quite a lot going on.
0: So you can imagine the freedom they felt in this house. Yeah. Which they expressed. If you actually take a tour of the house, everything's painted. I mean, it's one of those... it's, It's every cupboard, every stairwell, every alcove. I mean, it's beautiful. Yeah. Um... And uh, that love of decoration, that love of colour, and so the, and the freedom to discuss, the freedom to argue, the freedom to paint, the freedom to behave as they, more or less, as they wished sexually. Mm. What it must have been like when they walked into Lewis <laughs> or walked into Brighton or wherever, they, you know, the nearest... Eastbourne. Very <laughs> You just don't know, do you? <laughs> you wonder. I mean, I wonder how they, whether they dressed outrageously, whether they talked outrageously, or whether they were a little bit more cautious. I mean, you know. I think they would have been. Plenty, sure. plenty of people would have lost. I mean, don't they say every family suffered loss in the First World mm, War? Yeah. So, how did people feel about those that were clearly conscientious objectors? I mean, there's, you know, the, these are not, people would have known these were conscientious objectors, and I'm sure they must have thrown barbs in their direction. Yeah,
1: sure. And then we might have analysed what was, you know, the sort of relationships they were all having. I don't know. I don't know.
0: I mean, Grant, at this point, so he's born in 1885. So what is he? He's 34, 35. Mm-hmm. Like just about every artist we look at, Laura, he, he, he travelled to Europe in the early 1900s. Um, in particular, he went to um, Picasso's studio. I remember talking oh. about that in the, in the film Young Picasso. Picasso had this extraordinary studio and a pretty run-down block in Montmartre, but it was just full of artists and people just wander in and out, look at each other's works. Very interesting place. Um, one of those that was part of the Bloomsbury Group, a guy called Roger Fry, 1913, I think they founded something called the Omega Workshops and they produced furniture and pottery and textiles designed by young artists, including Grant and Bell. Mm-hmm. And that's why, when they came down to Sussex, they kind of carried on that idea of just decorating everything. Yeah. In fact, many years later, or well, during the Second World War, they—I was going to say famously—I think relatively famously—decorated the church in, in Berwick, which isn't far from here. Oh, okay. Another um, trip. Well, yeah, definitely. And then, of course, <laughs> for those you know, if you come down to this this neck of the woods. Um, there's another wonderful and slightly poignant place to visit uh, in, the, in a small town called Rodwell. And I think it, it's the uh, it's the monk's house. It's called the Monk's House. That's right. Um, so Vanessa Bell's. I mean, we're getting off the painting a bit, and getting into biography, but it is interesting. So <laughs> Vanessa really Bell's. Well, Vanessa Bell's sister Virginia, who was born, you know, two and a half, three years later. 1912, I think she marries Leonard Wolfe together in 1917. So again, during the war, they founded the Hogarth Press, which basically was the press that published most of her work. Uh, They rented a home in Sussex, but then they moved here permanently in 1940. During the war, I think they were either afraid of bombing or there had been a bomb relatively close to where they lived. I can't quite remember, or had that? actually... Anyway, so they're, they're getting out of London because of the bombing. Um, just to remind people, so some of the books that she wrote, To the Lighthouse, 1927, Orlando, 1928, A Room of One's Own, yeah. interestingly enough, mm. um, 1929, so kind of a similar-ish title. Um, but she... You know, she suffered from mental illness. And twenty eighth of March, nineteen forty one. What would she be then? Something like fifty nine.
1: Yeah, she
0: wasn't old, was she? Yeah, she drowned herself in the River Ouse, which is, which is, you know, we could walk there in five minutes. Um, <laughs> so it's it's very close. Obviously, it was very close to where she lived. So again, I always do wonder these kind of complicated relationships and. Um, with all the intricacies, uh, I'm not sure it suits everybody, you know, I'm not sure that everyone gets, comes away from it. Having only experienced pleasure. I, I, I don't, I mean, obviously there's more to Virginia Woolf's mental illness than all these complicated relationships, but.
1: Well, that was, that, hers was really sad, wasn't it? That Her mother died when she was 13, but, um, I think she was sexually abused, a half brother, as one of the things,
0: yeah, or well, maybe both are half brothers, right? Okay, yeah. so I mean, oh, yeah, I mean,
1: really, really tricky. And then she didn't have any children, but I wish there was somebody here to <laughs> clarify all of these different the web of all the relationships because sometimes you read online and you don't know what you're reading, you think, know, Is it true? But there was one of the things I read that she also really liked Duncan Grant. Hmm. And that uh, there was a slight tension between the two sisters. Mm. Um, but whether that's true or I not, I don't know, because obviously there was a rumour then that they may have had a relationship, a relationship, but only small. And then obviously he was with Vanessa and that was that. So,
0: But do you see any of that in this painting? Do you see any kind of <laughs> suggestion that there's anything <laughs> beneath the surface with her? I mean, she's not... She's turned away, she's thoughtful.
1: Yeah. I just think the fact that he's painted that that painting with the the child, which for me I can hardly see, I'm still struggling. Mm -hmm. But it's just the way I actually think it's just a tender drawing because of her feet being up and the little Mm -hmm. and the sort of whatever shoes or boots that she's wearing at the bottom. Mm -hmm. But I also really love her hat. And it just feels that he clearly I think. There's a real love, sort of love there for her, especially
0: with the baby. But again, you know, just look at the. You, know, you talk about the shoes and the hat. No, I
1: love
0: the shoes. But they you know, if you <laughs> if you go in really, really close,
1: yeah,
0: it's just a few little kind of
1: yeah
0: brush tiny little strokes. Mm. They're not shoes at all. No. But actually, you just step back mm. a meter,
1: mm.
0: you get it completely. Your brain is is working it out. There's, you know, she's wearing two. You know, a pair of black boots, or the hat.
1: The hat you can see is kind of flopping, and that I love the print on the dress because you wouldn't have thought he would have put that on that painting.
0: Yeah,
1: It's, it's it's so different. It's almost like two halves to the top.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I what, do you, really, what do you mean by two halves? I don't know,
1: it looks like two halves to me. It's, all, it's almost like he had a whole load of colours for her and then in the distance he's not used any at all. But he, oh, I don't know, I would have put something at the top, you see.
0: That's me. Oh, I love it. I mean, the green really the green in the sky yeah. kind of brings that plane forwards.
1: Mm.
0: I mean, it's, it's, it's a tradition that, you know, going right back to Leonardo, that you have your kind of your bright reds suggesting usually kind of bottom third of a picture, kind of suggesting, you know, they they, they, they they come out at you. So you often have them suggesting things in the near frame and then it fades off to kind of light blue, which kind of takes your eye into the distance. Mm-hmm. Monet, when he was planting his garden in Givigny in the in the autumn, planning ahead for next spring when he would paint the same garden, would have the bright colours at the front and the, the, the shades of blue plants towards the back just to give it that depth. Yeah. So here, in some senses, the fact that he's filled in that top with, with a kind of a pale grey-green doesn't really send your eye too much into the distance. I mean, I'm assuming that the brown, which is like the central, that kind of horizontal strain of brown, that's going to be distant... South Downs or distant... Yeah, yeah. I guess it's kind of supposed to be low hills rather than fields. But, you know, our, our brains are trying to work this out. And what we are seeing isn't necessarily what he was he was seeing or what he was trying to convey, of course.
1: Well,
0: I love the door. I think the door is fantastic. And the reflections in the uh, window panes mm-hmm. are really lovely. Because to some extent, they reflect what you can see. And to some extent they reflect what you can see but with different colours yeah. and to some extent they're showing you things you can't see at all
1: well, it's really around tricky. the corner. Mm.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean it's a, re- it's a really great work yeah. and it, it's up there for me it's up there with the Matisse or uh, uh, you know other painters of that period.
1: We've done some great paintings of people in chairs reclining, Edward Hopper, People in the Sun we've done yeah, and then we've done Howard Hodgkin, Mrs Acton in Delhi <laughs> Yeah. Sitting in, uh, and if you put all three together, there's uh, there's no connection really. But there are there all well, the people sitting in these lovely, lovely scenes.
0: I mean, no, I know I doubt that Hopper would have seen this, but certainly Hopper was very influenced by his time in Paris and the Impressionists and the right, Post-Impressionists. Okay. And Howard Hodgkin, I you know why why not? He could have seen this. He might have done. He was a, obviously absolutely in extraordinary colourist yeah I mean Duncan Grant went on to live until 1978 yeah so it's another 60 years yeah yeah that that he's living and um, and painting Mm. fantastic fantastic work and as I said for those of you that can get here before the 13th of March 2022 do try to and those of you that can't just um, look up Duncan Grant uh and any time come to uh Charleston House because it's it's fantastic and there's plenty of permanent art everywhere around, not least the nature in which it sits. Yes. <laughs>